Does anyone know what time it is? No one knows? When you hear that question, where do you look? Some of you look at your watch. Some of you look at your phone. For most of human history, those options were not available to people. So how do you think people would have responded to that question 2,000 years ago? They wouldn't have answered in hours or minutes. They wouldn't have looked at a wristwatch. Where would they have looked? That's right. Most likely they would have looked at the sun or the sky. They might not even have understood what you were asking them. Or they might have responded with the time or the season of the year. You see, days, months, and years all make sense as units of time because they match up roughly with the revolutions of the earth, the moon around the earth, and the sun, which the ancient people knew well. Hours, minutes, weeks, not so much. Now there's a passage in the Bible that's very familiar to some of us about time, and it's found in the book of Ecclesiastes. Now Ecclesiastes, along with Job and Proverbs and some of the Psalms, is part of a type of writing in the Bible called the wisdom literature. Job is about the hope of recovering a relationship with God who seems to have withdrawn into silence precisely when needed most in the midst of suffering and heartache. Proverbs, which we've heard about also, is about wisdom that helps you to lead a healthy and fruitful life in faithfulness to God's will. It's practical in advising you to want to be wise and telling if you seek wisdom, if you tame your tongue and your temper, if you avoid drunkenness and unfaithfulness and practice honesty and integrity in all of your dealings with other people, including your finances, then you will have a contented and a good life. Ecclesiastes is different than any other book in the Bible because it focuses on humanity and on life here on earth and how hard it is to know God and God's mysterious ways. Ecclesiastes reflects the perspective of a person who, frankly, lacks trust in God and questions the value of knowledge. It's really remarkable, if you think about it, that the Bible includes a skeptical book that questions the value of knowledge, and it's put right after the book of Proverbs. <laughs> Ecclesiastes asks the question of questions. Does life have any meaning at all? In the first two chapters, some of you may have started reading it already. If you haven't, brace yourself. Because the first two chapters express the utter futility of searching for wisdom, which Proverbs just spent 31 chapters telling you you should do. 
and it reflects the emptiness of a life spent in self-indulgence. All things are wearisome. There's nothing new under the sun. All is vanity and a chasing after the wind. Fun book to when you're feeling discouraged. But then in chapter 3, Ecclesiastes describes how God has created a stable universe marked by reliable patterns and the turning of the seasons and the flow of time imposes its own order on our lives. Time, not humanity, is the master. Listen to Ecclesiastes 3 verses 1 to 8. And as I read these words, which to some of you are very familiar, I want you to be thinking about of these different times and seasons, what time may it be for me? For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep. And a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to throw away stones, and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek, and a time to lose, a time to keep. And a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence. And a time to speak. A time to love. And a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Time is a fascinating concept. Knowing that time is important in the world in which we live, from structuring when we're to be at work or school or worship, to when programming begins on television or on the radio, when tickets for special events go on sale, or when we're going to meet someone. Knowing the hour and the minute and even the second has become important in everyday life. I know at least a couple of you may have been watching football yesterday or may watch some today. But in a football game, clock management can be crucial to winning or losing. And with the advent of smartphones, fewer people are wearing watches because they have the time on their phone anytime they want it. One of my friends who was talking humorously about the new digital watch that he got, and his new digital watch is dark as it sits on his arm. You don't see anything. But when you lift up your arm and start to turn your wrist, it lights up, and you can see the time digitally. And he was laughing, saying, you know, in the old days, 
your watch was on your wrist and all you had to do was glance, no matter what position your arm was in, and you could see what time it was. He said, now we've advanced to the point where you can wear a watch that won't show you the time unless you obey its command to move your arm. We've all grown accustomed to understanding time in seconds and minutes and hours because that's all we've known. But our understanding of time was influenced by the Industrial Revolution. When most people moved from working on farms to working in factories, in cities. However, for most of human history, which we forget we haven't lived, people didn't walk around with watches on their wrists and clocks on their walls. Portable timepieces were made possible by the invention of the mainspring in the 15th century. You were probably talking about that over breakfast just this morning. But most people throughout history had a very different sense of time than we do. And before our modern sense of time, before the invention of electricity, humanity's sense of time was determined much more by the sun and by the seasons of the year. And that's what's reflected in the words of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, which wants to teach you about the value of recognizing the importance of what time is it in your life? What time is it in your life? Not in a chronological sense of it's 9 a.m., but in the more important sense of what season am I in in my life? What season am I living in? Because our lives do have seasons and cycles to them, and they influence us. And part of becoming mature is becoming conscious of the seasons in your life and how to work with them rather than against them. Historically, for people who lived in a migratory fashion, following herds of animals, for example, like some of the Native American tribes in the American West who followed the bison or followed the elk, or for farmers involved in agriculture, the ability to recognize the season and the time was vital to having enough food and for survival. Because if you don't know the right time to plant, you won't have anything when it's time to pluck up what is planted. You'll starve. And anybody who's had to sell a house and move, is that anyone here? Anyone here ever had to sell a house and move? You understand there's a time to keep and a time to throw away right? And as we get older, there's a sense in which, you know, there's no way of knowing how much time any of us has left on earth. And a key to valuing time is understanding this is true no matter what our age. And it's important to value time and the seasons of life in which you find yourself because that's where you are. And you want to make the most of it. Ecclesiastes 3 teaches there are seasons and times that take place that are beyond your power to influence them. And you may not have as much control in your life as you'd like to think. You're a very small part of God's creation. And if you've ever been in a hurricane, a blizzard, or an earthquake... You can feel pretty small, can't you? 
and keenly aware of your limited sphere of control. You cannot stop the turning of the seasons. You cannot stop the changing of the tides. If you've ever gone down a river in a canoe, a kayak, or an inner tube, you know there are stretches of the river that are calm and quiet, and there are other parts that are turbulent and filled with rapids. And most of the river is this endlessly converging and mixing of currents and conditions that inevitably move you along whether you exert any effort or not. And going down a river, I think there's at least three different approaches we can take. Some people are floaters, some people are fighters, and some are navigators. Floaters passively accept the river in its present condition, right? They just go with the flow. I'm just along for the ride. Sit in my inner tube, watch the sky go by wherever the river takes me. Some people fight the river. And they want to exert their own will on it. They're going to paddle. They're going to stride. They're going to go where they want to go. And they're going to fight. They're going to fight. But you know what? Eventually, a river will wear you down. I don't care how fit or how strong you are. You're not as strong as the river, and it will wear you out. And then there's some people who actually learn to navigate the river and the different parts of it. And whether you're more naturally a floater or a fighter, that's what's important. It's your ability to become a navigator because you can't control the river of life. But you can equip yourself to navigate the currents and the seasons as you enter different ones. Ecclesiastes identifies many contrasting times and seasons, and I believe this is a time to love. Because in these times in which we're living, that seems to me a huge need. How can you practice making this a time to love when so many people need love? So many people. So many people are hurting, lonely, angry, lost, grieving. And what's needed in all those situations is love. And in whatever season you're in personally, as we seek to navigate turbulent waters as a nation and as a people, I believe God doesn't want us to live in fear. We are people of faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. Faith triumphs over fear. Hope enables us to persevere. And love is the greatest force in the world because it never ends. And it's important for us to discern the seasons in which we find ourselves and then to respond appropriately. There is a time to love, and this is such a time. Professor and author Dallas Willard said, we don't believe something by merely saying we believe it. We believe something when it changes how we live our life. I love that statement. We don't believe something by merely saying we believe it. We believe something when it changes how we live our life. And that includes the command to love our neighbors as ourselves. As I said, each of us is a very small part of God's creation. There's a great deal that's beyond our power and our control to influence. But knowing the season of your life, you can accept responsibility for yourself 
for your choices, for your behavior, for your attitude. That is within your power to control. And you can equip yourself and harness your resources for the season you're in. There's a well-known verse in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32, that describes the men of Issachar this way. It says, from the tribe of Issachar, there were 200 leaders of the tribe with their relatives. All these men understood the signs of the times and knew the best course for Israel to take. And that's what you want to do in your life. Understand the signs of the times and know the best course to follow. As followers of Christ, it's always a time to love, to give, and to share with others. And we all can do that in our own way. Earlier this month on November 8th, ESPN writer Brooke Pryor shared the story of Pittsburgh Steeler rookie running back Najee Harris and what he's done for the homeless shelter where he lived for a while when he was a child. I don't know if any of you saw this story. But she wrote, the first thing Najee Harris wanted to replace was the carpet. It was once a blue-green, but the short-looped industrial weave that covered the floors of the Greater Richmond, California. This is in California. The Greater Richmond Interfaith Program had faded from shoe prints from more than 20 years. The shoes of Harris his mom, and his four older siblings had walked over that carpet when they arrived at the Richmond shelter more than a decade ago. This was the last of several shelters that the Pittsburgh Steelers rookie running back and his family stayed in during his childhood. And when he went back to the shelter for a visit in between helping Alabama win the national championship in January and becoming the number 24 overall pick in the NFL draft in April, Harris noticed the carpet and he made a mental note to change it when he got the chance. And a few months later, thanks to a partnership between his foundation, which he started after being drafted and signed, and cooperating with Lowe's, Harris helped the the shelter to replace the carpet with a dark hardwood tile throughout the 12,000 square foot two-story building. And he didn't stop there. Last month, nearly 100 volunteers, including his family, descended on the shelter to start fulfilling the wish list that Harris and his mother, Tiana Hicks, compiled from their experience living in the shelter and through meetings with the organization over the summer. And the additions included new appliances, a computer, a grill, a rock wall, a playground, landscaping, pavers in the parking lot, and a fresh coat of light blue-gray paint. Loving and helping others is a message his mother started instilling in Harris and his siblings during their formative years spent in temporary housing. Harris and his family worked at soup kitchens, at Christmas toy drives, and special Olympic events even when they had no permanent housing of their own. His mother said, I've done a few things throughout their lives just to show them that giving back is just as important as receiving. And once uncomfortable sharing his experience growing up homeless, Harris is now using his platform to make an impact. He said, I found out that I could help people. My story could help people or it will make them feel like they're not alone. 
If all of us help each other out somehow, then we all can try to make a change. It took me all these years to really figure that out, so I wanted to help somebody else. I smiled when I read that the first time when he said, it took me all these years, because he's only 23 years old. He's a kid, right? No offense, but you're still a kid at 23. And I'd say he learned that lesson sooner than a lot of people learn it. I pray we all can find ways to make this Advent season a time to love and that we can find ways to help others when so many people need love and support and encouragement. Please join me in prayer. Dear God, thank you for your grace that has made me one of your dearly loved children. By your grace, make knowing, loving, and obeying you my highest priority. Empower me to love others the way you love me. Wash me clean from every sin. Enable me to praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. Jesus, be Lord of my life today in new ways and change me any way you want. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Make me an instrument of your grace, truth, forgiveness, love, peace, and justice. Use me today for your glory and to invite others to follow Jesus Christ as Lord. Gracious God, we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and leader, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.